you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Tell me the truth. Do you have champagne tastes on a beer budget? Then do we have a lively and fun show for you today. On this Queer Money, we welcome back fan and host favorite David Ray of Financial Planner LA. In case you didn't figure it out, Ray is a financial planner from LA who also plays on mine and David's team and helps many queer clients. Ray shares his unique insight and lively humor as we talk about how to live fabulously yet spend frugally because it is possible to live fabulously, not fabulously broke. And as luck would have it, today's Queer Money is being brought to you by the Living Fabulously Budget Buster Bundle. Many of you have told us that your tired, static budgets simply are not working and that they're too restrictive and antiquated. The Budget Buster Bundle is our four-step solution to creating a dynamic budget that works with you, not against you, and puts you on a plan to achieve all your goals. You can take four steps, right? The Budget Buster Bundle is available now and there's no reason to not get your financial life back on track. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash budget buster. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome back to the show, David Ray. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me back. You Absolutely. bet. Absolutely. What's new since the last time we had? It's been maybe like a year since we had you on the show. It's been a while. Business is amazing. I've started doing a new TV show called Me Time with Frangela very regularly, and I'm just running around being fabulous and frugal at the same time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I think that since the last time we talked to you, uh, your husband has been brought into the business, right? He, it's now a, a couple business for you two. It is. We are working together. We're following your lead. And, um, I, you know, I launched my own RIA, my own investment firm in June 20, 2017. I have to think about that. <laughs> so a little, over, a little over a year in and, and he's come to work with me, which has been great. And, you know, I had I was not working on my own when I started doing this podcast with you guys way back at the beginning. So <laughs> right. I'm glad you guys have been there from when I was, you know, a corporate cog in the, <laughs> in the, wheel, in the big wheel, big, big financial planning with the corporate backing to having my own firm. And it's been amazing going out on my own and just so many doors have opened up and Obviously, being LGBT has been a major part of that and a major part of my success. So and thank you guys for being a part of it as well. Thanks. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> <That'd be> great. <laughs> so in preparation for having you come on the show, we were ideating some ideas. What could we talk about? And we thought an interesting angle that we haven't talked about, at least amongst the three of us, is how to live the combination of fabulously and frugally. David and I oftentimes receive some backlash that the two aren't possible. And we would argue, of course, we're biased that that's totally possible. So you're coming from a different perspective. You're a gay man in a relationship in LA, very expensive city, highly professional career. Is it possible to be frugal and live fabulously in LA? It absolutely is. And I, and I will say, you know, obviously frugal and fabulous kind of seem like oxymorons if you try and put them together, but the frugality is a little bit relative. So, you know, the more you make or the more, you know, the things that you want to do, frugal doesn't have to be like you're reusing toilet paper or you're living like a homeless person. <laughs> like, you know, you don't have to be shopping at the 99 cent store for your clothes to be frugal. You know, it might be talking fabulously. It might be getting like 
a great deal at the Four Seasons on your next vacation. So, you know, it's getting a free night or using points and miles to fly first class and not having that come out of your budget or spending money for that ticket. So things are relative. And obviously, like if I'm living in LA, so if I just said like, oh, look, I bought a house that costs this and it's you know, you probably go, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Why are you spending so much money in most of the country? But it's LA and it's a basic track house and it's a fixer upper and it's run down. So, you know, it's, it's all relative <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or, you know, what are you spending on rent? Well, yeah. And you know, and there's parts of this country I could go spend a lot less if I was renting, I own, but if I was renting like you can't rent anything in LA for that price or what would be a crazy amount to spend in some other cities. So it's just being aware of what what is realistic and finding ways to save money so you can be fabulous in the areas that are important and frugal in some of the areas that don't really matter as much or you're not really giving up anything to maybe save a little money in, in certain areas. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I love that you said getting a great deal on a night of the Four Seasons, because even in a, a recent study that we saw some numbers from Mass Mutual, as well as the other studies that we've called out on this podcast, we've talked about how travel, dining out, personal care, there's a lot of things that gay men especially feel are important aspects of their lives. So if these are important aspects of your life, then find a way to do them for less. You know, there, there's, there's always ways to travel to save money when you're traveling. There's always ways to save money when you're dining out. There's ways to save money on the personal products that you use. Just because you're saving money to get that same product or that same take that same vacation doesn't mean you're giving anything up. You're getting everything that you want. Like you said, you're just spending less. <laughs> totally. And I think there are some people out there that feel like if they got a deal or it doesn't cost as much, it's not as good. And I'll tell a story. I've definitely taken vacations with friends and I booked in advance or I use miles or points and we're on the same plane. We get there at the same time. <laughs> we're in the same, theoretically the same class of flight. And they're paying double or triple the price because they bought it last minute or, you know, they just didn't didn't really plan ahead. And there's no added value to paying more for that flight other than, I guess, with the new point systems on some of them, you'll get more miles back. But that's a stupid reason to spend more on a flight. Let's <laughs> right, be realistic. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, using miles is a huge way to do it. I mean, we flew, we do kind of being fabulous and frugal with the theme here. We like to fly first class when we're going to Europe or <laughs> South America, but I can't spend that kind of money. I think our last trip when we went last year, the flights would have been like $15,000 if we paid cash. And there's, there's no, <laughs> no freaking way. And I don't think you're being frugal to be like, I don't want to spend $15,000 each on a flight, but we use miles and, you know, it's still, we had to save up miles and we had to plan ahead and we had to have miles. But that saved us a whole lot of money and we still got to fly first class. So I don't feel like I was cutting back anywhere to be, oh, poor us. We bought our first class ticket with miles. Right. <laughs> you know, no one's going to know and think, oh, they're, they're on miles up there in first class. Poor them. <laughs> right. You know, and what's interesting is most of the time when we think you have two people standing side by side and they have just purchased the exact same product. Let's just say they went and bought a television and one person paid $750 for it and the other person paid $1,500 for it. We would probably look at the person who paid more and say, hmm, you're missing a few IQ points, I think. <laughs> you know, we would generally say that that person is probably not the smartest tool or the sharpest tool in the shed because they didn't they just because they spent more. It's not that they're fabulous because they spent twice as much as somebody else. The actual the smart person is the person who figured out how to pay half as much as everybody else. 
Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So before we get too into the minutiae here, let's discuss the DNA of gay men. Why is it <laughs> why is it we have this innate need to live and be and consequently spend fabulous? What what is that? Well, I think, you know, we just we congregate in a way that probably is different than maybe our straight counterparts who are our age and are raising kids in the suburbs. Because we're we're gonna deal with people that are making way less money in our friend group, and maybe some are making way less, some are making way more. But we still want to travel together. We still want to go to dinner together. We still want to hang out. So there's some inequality there from an income standpoint between the groups. Friends, at least in my experience, are just I have friends that are you know billionaires that I probably wouldn't ever meet if if I was heterosexual just just from how life works. Yeah. And then there's people who are maybe you know younger and cuter and they get brought along on the you know the billionaire's boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. We'll leave it. They're not paying to be there. Um, <laughs> you know, in dollars and cents. And then I also think just from, you know, my own perspective and people I know is, you know, maybe not fitting in along the way we want to exude success or, you know, we're equal or better than, and, you know, a lot of people in the community are very driven career wise and very driven to look a certain way or act a certain way or present a certain image that, you know, goes beyond keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, we want to be, you know, rich and young and beautiful all at the same time. And those could all be relative. It may not be rich, but, you know, like we have friends probably in our extended group who, you know, have six pack abs that, you know, we're of a certain age that we, we could have dad bod if we had five kids at home, but you know, we're not going <laughs> to, I'm not ready to give up and have dad bod yet. Mm, I was going to say, if we have five kids, I don't know. We don't have any kids. Nothing wrong with dad bod, but um, you know, that's just not the look I'm going for. <laughs> I like my husband and I'd like him to, you know, keep me. So <laughs> Exactly. Right. I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, what you were just saying, David, and John and I mentioned this on another podcast that we recorded today that will air later in the month, this idea of as queer people that during some point in our lives when we recognized that we were different and as we came out, whether we actually truly did come out or we just came out to ourselves, we have always had this feeling of inferiority. I'm a gay man. Well, that means I'm not really a man. I'm a lesbian, so I'm not the archetype feminine woman, you know, there's all these inferiority complexes that we get. And so I think that there's a part of us that wants to prove everybody else wrong, that we are good and we're accepted and we're acceptable or people want us. And one of the, unfortunately, in especially in America, one of the easiest ways to do that is to be uber successful, financially successful, or at least the appearance of being financially successful. Everybody wants to hang out on that billionaire's boat, right? So we may overextend ourselves to trying to live this lifestyle of showing people that we are worthy of their love because we're financially successful. I totally agree there. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, have been through it. I guess I've been around a long time. I'm calling myself old here, but you know, in my twenties, there was a lot more pressure to appear rich and do things that I, you know, I could afford a car, but you know, do we need this fancier car, the luxury car? And I, I really do see that in a lot of people in their thirties and twenties and, and even beyond 
just really stretching and trying to spend money they maybe don't have. And would you rather have a nicer car or take a vacation? And I think I've grown into, um, I'd much rather take a vacation. And that's kind of where you have to kind of balance what's important to you. And some people would say, screw it. I'd rather drive a nice car. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little more credit if you are a salesperson and you're driving around all the time, or if you have a terrible commute, I'm not saying drive a clunker, but you know, you don't need a Range Rover or a Bentley or a Rolls Royce uh, for most of us on most of our salaries or, or that stretch maybe just going up to like a Mercedes or a BMW entry level still is ridiculously expensive. And even just looking at what the average car costs in America, I think it's something like $35,000, $36,000. People can't afford that. The average American should not be spending that kind of money on a car. There's definitely people in the community, the LGBT community who can and should and could totally afford it. But I'm sure there's people who are spending way more than that on a car that really shouldn't be. They should maybe be focusing on their credit card debt or their <laughs> student loans, not to be, you know, Debbie Downer with it. But, you know, there's nothing sexy uh, about, you know, credit card debt, at least in my opinion. <laughs> right. Exactly. Here, here. Yeah. So I, it, sexy is the confident man who has control or woman who has control over their spending habits so that they're building a secure financial future, right? That level of confidence that you can exude because you have control over your finances rather than your money having control over you is can make a man or woman. I totally agree. It just it doesn't look quite as sexy on Instagram or Grindr. <laughs> I, I'm, I have this car because I'm you know paying down my credit card debt or I have this car because I'm building my net worth. And then also the people that I know that are really building their net worth that way, um, are happy for, I mean, at some level happy for people to maybe think they're not quite as successful as they are because <laughs> you don't ever, there's still a taboo about, you're not bragging, but like letting people know that like, oh yeah, I have this car, but I'm saving the $500 difference per month. And now I'm a, you know, a millionaire. I'll be a millionaire by this age, or right. I'm going to be a multimillionaire by the time I retire. And, you know, it just comes off probably more pretentious than a, a fancy car would to say that. But I think we kind of need to get over that and, you know, share with some of our friends things that we're doing or be honest of like, I screwed up. I've got $51,000 in credit card debt. Like I think some people in the room have had that? in the past, you <laughs> know, there's choices you, who, you, you know, there's choices you have to make to dig out of that hole and just think of how much better off you guys are now not having to pay all that interest or, you know, if you still were toiling under that debt, would you be able to make the move and, you know, go out on your own the way you guys have, or, you know, would you guys be, you know, living in a box to do it? <laughs> so, and, and by a box, I mean a cardboard box on the side of the street. <laughs> so don't mind me as I poke fun at credit card debt. But <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> we're in LA where I think a lot of people think as long as the cards aren't maxed out, they're still fabulous. So <laughs> right. leave, yeah, right. it, leave it at that. <laughs> okay. So you're a financial planner. You do a lot of budgeting and financial analysis and projections into the future. What are some of the first steps for someone to take if they've recognized that they're kind of living the champagne lifestyle when they should be more like living a, on a beer budget? Absolutely. So I, for me, it's all about how much you're spending. I really don't care where you're spending the money other than that you have enough to you know pay for what you're, you're spending it on. So I really try and have people focus on what's important to you. Like what do we need to have money for so that you'll be happy? And it, I'm sure every time we go through a budget, Every time we go through someone's spending, we go, oh my God, I can't believe I still have that service. I don't need a home phone. Like I didn't, I don't even, it's not plugged in or like, I don't watch Hulu or Netflix or any of those things anymore. If you do like keep them, but like there's so much money probably in most of our budgets of things we wouldn't miss if they were gone or we're just wasting money on 
on stuff that we're not really using. Like I'm all for like paying for the nice gym if you go and use it. But even the cheapest gym is a waste of money if you never go. You know, it could be it could be Planet Fitness that they're special for nine ninety nine a month. But if you don't go, it's a wasted nine ninety nine. Versus, you know, if you're at Equinox, which I don't know where everyone lives, but you know, in LA, that's probably the most expensive gym. And there's there's higher end ones that you could spend like two fifty a month or whatever. If you're going every day or you're getting you know something good out of it, who cares if you can afford it? So I'm all for finding what's important for you. And then it's also hard budget wise. If like I know I love to travel and I know a lot of people love to travel and their budget probably works until they take a vacation or take a trip (laughs) and all of a sudden there's money on the credit card or, you know, you spend a lot of money. So really planning ahead for those things. And it makes it so much easier to maybe be a little more frugal in certain areas when you know, like I'm not spending that whatever $200 a month or $400 a month, or it could be a thousand dollars a month or a couple thousand dollars a month, depending on your travel budget, because it's going to a trip or it's going to that vacation that I'm so excited about, or it's, you know, to buy a house or whatever those goals are. And when you put it in perspective of the big things you want to be doing, it makes it so much easier to be like, no, you know, I really don't want, I'm, I'm hung over this Sunday. I don't want to go to that drunk brunch anyways. (laughs) So I'm going to say no and save a hundred dollars. Versus if you just have no thoughts about your budget, you're just going to, Oh, whatever, I'll go. And it's no big deal. It's only a hundred bucks for brunch or it's 50 bucks for brunch or drinks out. And you do. I have so many people I know here in LA that feel like they can't afford a vacation, but they're out for three dinners a weekend or they're they're taking little weekends away that, you know, still is two nights in a hotel and maybe a flight and a lot of dinners. And I look at their travel budget and I'm like, you know, for this travel budget, you could probably go to Europe like three times a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're feeling like they're not traveling. And that's kind of where you make just the, the tiny difference in your mindset is you can go from being, you know, just wasting money or not feeling like you're fabulous to tweaking things and really feeling fabulous. Because I, I personally think I'd rather go to Europe two or three times or just have a big Europe trip. And that's where I'd like to travel. So to each their own versus like some annoying weekends in Vegas getting drunk. Could, nothing wrong with the Vegas and getting drunk. I've been there. I've been to Miami and been drunk. You know, it's all good. <laughs> drinking's <laughs> drinking's one of my expenses. But you know, if you're just going for the weekend and it's a little mad trip versus something that you're really looking forward to and is big and exciting and fabulous and you're spending the same amount of money, wouldn't you rather maybe plan ahead and do a big, cool trip with your friends than just, you know, I went to the beach for the weekend or I, you know, I went an hour away and and you're still blowing a ton of money. Right. So I'm hearing three things. One is prioritize your spending. The second is to have a budget. And then the third is to pay attention and manage your budget. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> very, very fun and exciting. And, you know, <laughs> I think that the, the number one thing is a lot of people just aren't going to do all three of those uh, without some help. <laughs> so, right. you know, really prioritize. And if you can find ways to make things automatic so that the money for your vacation is pulled out automatically, you go, okay, I'm taking it. I want to take this big trip or I want to do something that's a big expense. Try and set that money out of sight, out of mind automatically every month. Right. Cause then you'll be like, oh, look, my bank account's almost at zero and I need my next paycheck. You'll probably be a little more conscious to pay attention to that next swipe of the credit card, even if you have the money coming versus if you're like, oh, look, I've got 10,000 in my checking account for getting that rent's due or the mortgage is due or that you're trying to take a vacation and and buy the tickets, the, you know, the airline tickets in a few weeks. So it just, it kind of changes the mindset to feel like you're poor, <laughs> which hopefully will mean you'll spend a little less money on crap you don't, care about in, in my, <laughs> right 
I'm sure there are times when you need a new outfit and there's times where you don't really need a new outfit, <laughs> you know, or you can wait till it's on sale or I'll be honest, I use coupons for a lot of my clothes. Like it might be at Bloomingdale's, but they send out like 20% off today and right. I will go, okay, it's the same outfit, but it's 20% off. So I get, you know, either more clothes <laughs> or I get more value for my money. So it's not, you know, not like I'm cutting back. And again, I'm not shopping at Walmart for my clothes. Not, no offense if anyone shops at Walmart, go for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the things that I also hear coming from what you're saying is this this idea of what happens in our heads with how we're spending our money. You know, if we're going out to brunch every Sunday and dropping 50 or or $100, eventually going out to brunch doesn't feel like anything special, right? Because we do it every single Sunday or, or th three Sundays a month. Whereas, it, you know, and I'm going to take a step back here. When I was a kid, my family, and I'm talking about my early mid teens, my family used to go out to dinner once a week on a Friday night to Chili's. And we thought it was great. It was awesome. Otherwise, my the rest of the time my mom cooked. What I didn't understand with, you know, seeing my friends and other people I knew going out on a more regular basis was that my dad was saving a thousand dollars a month for his retirement. Thank God Amazing. he did because he he ended up losing his job in his late 50s and was able to basically retire then. But I think the same thing can go in our community is that we as social beings or the desire for us to hang out with our friends on a regular basis, pretty soon we're spending large amounts of money to do things socially so that we spend time with our friends or feel good. But then none of it really feels special. So then we want to go out and have that special vacation or want to make that big special purchase, but we don't have the money to do it because we've gotten used to these larger or these more expensive regular activities that deplete all of that extra money. Absolutely. And I think that's where like, we bring it back to prioritizing because you know, I love going to brunch and I love seeing my friends. But I found I can probably have my friends over, order food in, and buy bottles of wine at the grocery store, and we're going to have better food or the same food and better wine, most likely. And I get to buy it for everyone, not that that helps my budget, but it, it evens out because they'll do, they'll do the same thing at some point in time. But we're spending less money. You know, right. I'm spending what I would spend on a dinner out. But I get to treat my friends and have, you know, a bunch of people over and we probably spend more time chatting and it's just a nice, comfortable environment. And I wouldn't want to do that every single dinner, but it's just really nice. And then every so often we'll get invited to their place and, they, you know, they're picking up the tab or even if I'm chipping in and I brought a bottle of wine, you know, a bottle of wine at home or from the grocery store is a zillion times cheaper than <laughs> doing it at the restaurant or cocktails, you know, okay, well, let's have a cocktail each. Well, that's, you know, a whole meal right there. So <laughs> right. uh, cost wise, cost, -wise, <laughs> it adds up real quick. Cause I try and, you know, the good thing about brunch, at least at some places is we don't drink and that helps keep the bill down. But then, uh, you know, quite often someone will still order their mimosa or whatever. And you're like, that was more than the food. <laughs> right. It's a five or $10 plate of food and a $20 bottomless mimosa. Yes. And so, well, at least some of our friends, I'm sure, get their, their money's worth of a $20 bottle. Yeah, right. 
but usually on brunch, I, I'm much more of a, I don't need, need more than one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should implement that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one at home, one at brunch, and then one when you get back home. <laughs> So I think this is a great place to ask a question from the Queer Money Facebook group. Um, someone asked, when and how often is it okay to treat yourself if you are trying to make smarter spending choices? Any suggestions, David? Yeah. So obviously this is going to depend on how big of a, a, you know, if you're just making smarter choices and saving more money, you know, you can probably treat yourself a lot more than if we're, if you've treated yourself too much and we're paying off credit card debt. <laughs> so if you're digging out of a hole, my thoughts would be to try and it's not as much fun, but kind of budget a certain amount per month. That's your treat yourself money. And, you know, if you're making your payments to your credit cards, you're, you're staying on track with the rest of your expenses and you're not, you know, that money is still there and it's been saved. It's yours. Do whatever the heck you want with it. So if it's treat yourself for a massage or go to that extra dinner or have a cocktail or buy a new outfit, that's your money. And you're rewarding yourself for the positive stuff you're doing of, like I said, paying down the debt. And you've actually had to save the treat yourself money versus if you're trying to say pay down your debt or if the treat yourself is just going to go right back on that credit card and set you back Mm -hmm. a month or two months or three months, you really have already treated yourself. (laughs) So (laughs) you need to be much more careful of that. And you also want to be very careful that it's a kind of a fixed expense, you know, so it's like, okay, I know I'm booking a massage with tip. It's going to cost this much money and I can afford it versus like, I'm going to book a vacation. And, you know, you're like, I got a cheap deal on airfare. Okay, well, oh, I need I need a hotel and I need to eat and I need transportation. All of a sudden you're treat yourself has blown the budget and you're like back at square one. So we want to be very careful of not doing that. But, you know, try and do something for yourself on like a monthly or even potentially weekly if you're doing smaller treat yourselves. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Not a weekly vacation coming. (laughs) But, you know, you might want to set little milestones because it it can be hard to think that, oh, I'm like your dad. I'm saving a thousand a month for retirement in 30 years. Well, that's not very exciting. So you want to have some milestones that you can treat yourself with along the way. Or if you're paying down debt and, you know, you are starting at $50,000, like, that extra payment's going to look really minimal when you're like, oh, that 90% of that went to the interest, but you're getting, you're moving in the right direction. <laughs> right. But it's just, it's going to feel really hard at the beginning to start that savings plan because you're like, oh, look, the market went up and I made $2 on my investment. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> exactly. well, it's only been in there a week, so that's pretty good. It's just, it's not like, it's not that exciting yet. <laughs> or, you know, like you said, I'm sure you guys know, from, you guys can talk from experience, but paying down your debt at the beginning, it wasn't very exciting to see that number go to like, Oh look, it's fifty one thousand. Now it's fifty one nine ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In twelve cents. So you know, look for ways that you can actually plan and budget for those. Treat yourself so you have the money. And that you're also looking forward to something. So you're like, okay, if I if I make this extra, you know, I'm smart in these other areas or I skip that brunch, I can treat myself to something else that's more exciting than another drunk brunch with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We missed one week. Okay, I didn't get to go last week. Now the following week will be exciting, hopefully. Or maybe two <laughs> weeks down the road, it'll be exciting again. <laughs> yeah, I'll add that David and I wrote in our book, Four Principles of a Debt-Free Life, we spelled out our strategy for using milestone rewards. So we would set a goal of making regular payments for six months 
months or paying down our debt by five or $10,000. And at that point, we would give ourselves anywhere from 20 to $100 to splurge on something that we would treat ourselves with. And at the beginning, it wasn't terribly exciting. But as we paid off our debt, we got more excited and the rewards could get just a little bit bigger. And we capped it off with treating ourselves to a trip to uh, Mexico for so, our friend's wedding. We had that synced together with the, our last credit card payment. So we actually came back from Mexico um, having treated ourselves, but with no debt. So if you're strategic about it and you use it as an incentive to help you with your financial goals, I think it's great to, to treat yourself on occasion. Totally agree. So we've talked a lot about hanging out with our tribe and, and going to drunk brunches and stuff. It seems like <laughs> there is this desire for us, maybe even just gay men, to be with our friends, um, maybe our logical family as opposed to our biological family. Is there something that we can do to bring our friends along with us along the uh, frugal spending journey? Yeah. You know, if you have big goals that you're trying to do, share some of those with your your closer friends. I mean, you don't have to be like on Facebook announcing like, I'm saving for a house. Don't call me to go to brunch. It's probably not, <laughs> not what you want to be doing. But, you know, you can talk to them. I know I have friends that are saving for different things or trying to dig out of different holes that they've unfortunately fell into over time. So, you know, we might just pick a cheaper restaurant to go out to um, rather than like, let's go to the fine dining, sit down dinner and have cocktails. Well, look, let's just go and get like something casual and, you know, we'll have a drink at my house first. So all of a sudden we've gone a $10 or $15 dinner versus, <laughs> right. you know, a 30, 40, $50 dinner times, you know, I'm in a couple. So times two for us, or just kind of letting them know that there's things that you're doing, like you are putting money into your retirement account. And, you know, I would like to have some of my friends be able to retire when I do, or when I'm old to have, still have friends that aren't forced to work full time. So, you know, if they start saving for retirement, <laughs> it's kind of selfish, but I would like them to have money for retirement. So <laughs> building them in on this and helping them along the way and make smart choices will help down the road when I want to retire or just having friends, you know, how did you buy a house? Like sharing how I did that and how I saved money beyond beyond being like a financial planner and sharing as a professional, just kind of sharing as a friend and being like, okay, you know, your car lease is up. Let's, you know, let's maybe get a cheaper car next time. And you can put $500 more <laughs> towards <laughs> saving for a house or, you know, you're going to be buying in the next year. Your goal is like that car payment is going to count against what you can qualify for a mortgage. So, you know, that's this much of a house more you could buy if you got a cheaper car and they go, Oh my God, I didn't think of it that way. So just, just little things of sharing with your friends. And then also, you know, if you're the one trying to save, letting some of your friends know, and you'd be amazed at how many people are very helpful along the way or have tips or advice, or will just, you know, make a little more effort to be a little more cost conscious on some of the trips or choices you're making along the way so that, you know, you're able to still hang out with your friends, still be fabulous but then still be frugal and save a little money along the way. Right. I, I love your advice about talking about it more. I don't think we do that enough in the um, queer community. And in fact, David and I wrote an article for Forbes that we published October 11th on National Coming Out Day about the need to also come out of the closet about your finances. And maybe if we can get our community to talk more about money, more about what's not working for us and more about what is working for us, then maybe we can, you know, in a more conversational way, help all boats rise with the tide. Absolutely. Because I think there's a lot of people who say, oh, we're the same age. We probably make about the same amount of money. And they don't. <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean in a bad way, but like I can afford the same kind of car they do or live in the same apartment building or buy a similar house. And you're like, no, no, no. I mean, you're both doing very well, 
but that person's making $100,000 more than you. That's how they have that car. Or probably more common or just as common is, no, that person makes less than you, but they're to their ears in credit card debt. Um, so yeah, don't follow their lead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So we have another question here from the Queer Money Facebook group, and I think this is timely. Heading into the holidays, how do you balance managing your budget while also giving gifts? Do you have to put a moratorium on, on giving gifts or is there a, a better strategy than, than maybe turning off all your friends? <laughs> yeah. So I think this is going to depend on the relationship you have with certain people. And, you know, kind of on that note of talking to your friends, especially with friends that probably don't necessarily need a gift or won't be offended if you guys don't exchange gifts, talk to them and be like, look, we're just trying to, you know, save for a house or do this or, you know, whatever your goal is. And can we not do a gift this year? Or can we maybe set a budget so that, you know, your friend who's giving you $200 gift, you're like, oh crap, I don't have $200 <laughs> to give them a gift back. Or, you know, they might be giving a very generous and very nice gift, but you're like, I don't really need that. Or I would not have spent $200 on that or kind of on the frugal side, they got it at Bed Bath & Beyond and they didn't use the 20% off coupon like <laughs> all of us would have. Shame on you. Shame on you. You can even you. have those texts to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, kind of having those conversations, I think with parents and family, it can be a little tougher, but sometimes, you know, I've definitely seen families or people that maybe, especially larger families where it was just getting onerous you know, if you bring up the conversation, you know, some of your siblings or some of your family members are probably still feeling overwhelmed of like, did I really need to buy a gift for every niece and nephew and every cousin and every in-law and every <laughs> this and that? And you're like, okay, I just bought a hundred gifts. And you know, you've got a hundred little tiny gifts or, or even, even okay gifts that just, it really adds up, but it's nothing fabulous. And you might be able to just kind of pull that back and be like, let me just do one bigger gift for a few people or, Sometimes you've just been like, okay, I'm going to get for, you know, each sibling is going to buy for one sibling and do a nicer gift rather than like everyone pointing at every other person and buying, you know, 10 little gifts. They're going to do like, this works better in bigger families or, <laughs> yeah. or cousins. So like I have 13 cousins who now have 13 spouses. So if we were all buying everyone a present, it'd be ridiculous. So we kind of do everyone buys like one gift for one person. We draw names and that makes it much more manageable. So it's, you know, one priced out gift and there's a budget that's supposed to go with it. I think some people are either better at shopping or just want to spend more money because they don't follow the budget, but to each their own. <laughs> if you want to go over and buy a nicer gift, you buy a nicer gift, but you can pretend that it cost $50 or whatever the present was because you like that parent more or, <laughs> you know, and then some parents are just harder to buy for. I know, you know, my mom's not easy to buy for, but she, I can definitely get her something that she would like where you know, what do I buy my dad? It's like uh, a golf club. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know. I don't mean it bad, but he's got golf clubs. He's going to buy the ones he wants and I'm not going to pick the right one. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, I had, you know, every time that David and I have brought up the subject of either cutting back or cutting out spending for the holidays, people have been relieved. And several years ago, when we were paying off our debt, we proposed to our family that we just not exchange gifts with the adults until we've all reached our financial goals. The kids still got gifts. So they had a fabulous Christmas, but we never actually resumed doing the gifts again. People actually like the idea of just you know, not making it it's such an expensive experience every year. And one of the best replacements to exchanging gifts with every single person in your family, we found, is white elephants. Yeah, <laughs> that game that's is fun. Great guess. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it you know creates creates an experience and a memory as opposed to just exchanging gifts or something that people are probably going to forget anyway. 
we have we've been playing that for a good de- couple decades in my family. And there's <laughs> gifts that have, that magically pop up years later. We assume they're gone. The white elephant exactly. gifts. Exactly. Like we've got some <laughs> size eight thousand underwear and you know the world's largest bra and a few other things that are probably not appropriate for uh, the children. <laughs> but grandma bought them, so it's okay. And, <laughs> but it, it's just more fun, and those are things we remember. And it's and it's relatively cost effective. Or I'm definitely going to say it's cheaper than buying gifts for one person, let alone. 10 or 20 people. And you really don't miss the gifts after a while. And in our household, you know, my husband and I do a lot of nice things for each other, but we really don't do big gifts for like our anniversary and Christmas and stuff. We definitely do like small gifts, but then we're kind of like, well, would you rather put that money towards our next vacation? So we're, you know, we're taking a vacation, not necessarily on Christmas or our anniversary, but it's, I'd rather have that money for an extra hotel night or to upgrade or, you know, to, to fly in first class, (laughs) you know, so I'd rather put it to that rather than I, hi, I bought you a gift that's, you know, for our anniversary, which is nice. Don't get me wrong. We celebrate the anniversary, but there's some of the gifts wouldn't be as exciting versus maybe saving up or we're coming up on our 10 years together next year. And I know we have something planned that'll be much bigger for the 10 year, but I'd rather save the money and have a really big gift for a 10 year than like, Oh, look, we spent like money every year and now we can't afford the 10 year. Yeah. Teach their own. Right. You know, just one other suggestion I'll throw in there that if you have a large group of friends or a large family, sometimes finding a way to do a group gift so that it includes a number of people can be a more economical way of giving a gift. So maybe you are throwing a dinner party for your friends and having it catered and it comes in cheaper than, you know, you're spending 10 to $12 a pop per person. Now, I know some caterers going to be like, you can't get anything for that cheap. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, if you can, you might be able to lower the cost by doing a group gift. You know, you take all your nieces and nephews out for a particular event and say, this is the Christmas gift for this this year. You may be able to bring the cost down and still make everybody feel like they were they were special. <laughs> Absolutely agree. There's a hundred million ways to get the cost down on stuff. And it might not even be just having food delivered or like, you know, it's catered. I mean, air quoting catered. It's not like the private chef <laughs> coming in with a five-star Michelin. You're, you're feeding kids. So, you know, right. it might be the adults <laughs> might get filet mignon from somewhere and the kids get pizza, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely cheaper than going to like a, a fine restaurant where you're buying like fancy pizza for the kids and they're like, ew, (laughs) I want pepperoni and cheese. (laughs) I don't know. That'd be a toss up. I like filet mignon, but I also love a good pizza. (laughs) You can can always go grab a piece from the kids. I'll throw an extra one here or there. Like it happens. (laughs) Exactly. So John John can actually sit in those small chairs at the kids table. So Mm, I can, you wouldn't be able to recognize me, distinguish me from the small people. (laughs) Oh, oh, no comment. (laughs) So, you're a financial planner. You work with people of all different incomes and all different careers. We often hear that people who spend frugally are poor, but I would argue that's probably not always the case. What do you see from the people that you work with? Is it just poor people who are frugal? Oh, that is the biggest myth. That's the biggest horse crap. I can just go (laughs) on and on. And that's someone who is living beyond their means saying that. You might get called poor. You know, I have the amount of multimillionaires that I sit down with that pull up in like a 1980 something Honda Accord or Toyota Camry. And people are like, why would you have this poor person as a client? And I'm like, oh, you haven't seen their house or their vacation house or their their net worth and their assets. And, you know, they sent their kids to college or, you know, I mean, the gay community, it's not as often. But, you know, if they've 
paid for the surrogate in cash and they've sent their kids to private school and they're they're paying for all these things that are quite expensive, but they just don't care about a car. They don't, maybe don't care about their fashion the way you do, or they don't care about certain things that would be fancy. And they're, they're kind of prioritizing spending on where they want. Some of those people have amazing incomes and they spend a ton and are still able to save a ton. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. being strategic with, you know, tax planning, especially for business owners. But some people just have saved up a ton of money by being, you know, frugal and being smart with it. Like, you know, they maybe haven't remodeled their house, but it's, we're here in LA. So, you know, the numbers are a little different, but you know, some areas here, a little rundown track house is $2 million in many parts of the city. So, you know, you might look and they have their old car and their house looks a little bit run down, but they own it. Right, <laughs> they might right. have no mortgage. And so that's 2 million bucks they have where you're, you're in a, we have some people here who might pull up to their rented apartment. That's five, six, 7,000 bucks a month easily, or even, you know, three or 4,000 a month. And they have all the new furniture that's on a credit card or on debt and they've leased the car and they think they're rich and fabulous because they've got a Rolex and they've got all this stuff, but they're rolling in debt and they're broke or they have a 401k, but it's got like, you know, one paycheck worth of money in it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's really a stereotype to think that frugality is about being poor because I will say I, I've kind of grown from, you know, starting out as a financial planner, making not as much money as I do now to now. <laughs> Um, and my my standard of living has increased, but there's still areas where I'm I'm frugal, and I, you know I've made the mistake on some of your guys' articles of going into the comments. I think you wrote an article about going to the grocery store on Yahoo a few years ago, mm -hmm. and I went in the comments, and it was like people ripped you to shreds for yeah. spending like 10 extra cents somewhere. And it's like, it's not about picking up pennies and all of this stuff. It's just being smarter. Like I was at the grocery store and someone was buying Dom Perignon and they bought five bottles and I wanted to yell at them because I don't know you guys, I think every grocery store has a discount for six bottles. <laughs> and in this case, it was 30% off if you buy six. And I'll save you the math. It was cheaper to buy six bottles than five. So I don't think getting six bottles of Dom is like, or people frugal stuff <laughs> or you just throw the cheapest bottle on there and you save like 200 plus dollars for the same five bottles and then you have a cheap bottle of wine that you can i don't know give to someone or give to the homeless person outside if you don't really want to drink it but it saved you money by buying six and just little things like that can really add up and no one's going to pretend that well i mean someone could call you poor <laughs> if your card gets declined trying to buy dom perignon but i don't think anyone buying dom perignon would be you know called poor per se. And I think a lot of things that you do that are smart financial decisions, I don't want to say make you look poor or frugal, but you know, saving for a house or owning a house, you're probably, most of us are going to spend more money on our mortgage at the beginning of the mortgage than we would rent a comparable house that, that's flipped in certain markets. But in general, that's kind of where it comes on. Or you mentioned your dad saving a thousand dollars a month and you're like, oh, they're poor. They're not going out to dinner every night. Well, no, he's saving a thousand dollars for retirement. And look at, look at him at the end of his working career and I had all this money. So there's a lot of things that people think, oh, you're poor. Right. <laughs> you know, they can't afford a nicer car. You're like, no, <laughs> they're just, they're saving money. They're making smart decisions or heck they're flying first class on their vacation to Europe while you're sitting at, you know, in traffic in LA or Denver or wherever you live and you're least fancy car and you're you can't travel anywhere because you've got that car you can't afford right you know it's interesting you kind of end on that and i have to laugh because there's a couple who live in our building that we live in right now that are exactly that they drive a 19 i would say maybe early 1990s red dodge caravan this couple is probably in their 
late 50s, maybe early 60s. They're doing that, but they are also right now building a multi-million dollar home in Manhattan. (laughs) So, when you see them in Manhattan and you see their house, you're going to be like, they're rich. But when you see them pull into the garage in our building, you're like, they're poor. (laughs) Right? So, (laughs) it's, we always have this need to immediately judge someone, you know, and we don't, we say that we don't or we don't want to, but it's just by nature, I think it happens. And so, who cares? right? (laughs) Who gives a shit whether you look rich or poor? It's up to you. What really brings you that happiness? Absolutely. Do what's right for you. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses. And to to that point, I think there's a lot of people that maybe look poor or they look frugal in certain areas and they're, they're rolling it somewhere else. And then there's some people who definitely look rich and they're rolling in crap. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So let's look at the other side of the balance sheet. We had yeah. a question, another question from the Career Money Facebook group, and they asked, how do you negotiate a raise? Any suggestions on that, especially coming from the perspective of a gay man? I'm assuming that that's kind of feeding into the surveys that come back that show that LGBT people are likely to not get jobs or get promoted or get as much of an advancement as our straight counterparts. Any suggestions, David Ray, on negotiating and getting more of an income or a salary? Yeah. So the first step is go get to your neighbors, get their caravan and drive that to work and park it right next to your boss's car (laughs) and let them know that this is all you can afford on your salary. No, I think we do fall into kind of the trap that women fall into. And I'm not blaming it on us and I'm not blaming it on women, but I think people that are giving those raises think stereotypically back in the day, like, oh, she's a woman. She's not supporting a family. And they could probably say the same or would make the same stereotypical comment about members of the LGBT community, whether or not we have children. And be confident and know your worth and know what you're bringing to the company. And don't be afraid to ask, because if you don't ask, you will not get. You know, I know so many people that are great employees and they're hard workers and they just go, well, they'll they'll notice and they'll give me a raise. And like, hell, no, they won't. <laughs> it's too nice about it. And you go, oh, here's your 0.0001% cost of living adjustment. Congratulations. You go, thank you so much. They're going to think you're happy. And that's all you're going to get. You know, you do sometimes have to be willing to switch jobs. I hate to say that. But, you know, you. it's amazing how often I've seen people not get a raise, not get a raise, not get a raise. And then they get a job offer from somewhere else and they're about to leave. And magically they get this huge raise (laughs) at their current employer. It's amazing how that works. And I've also had people who left for six months and then they get hired back at like five promotions up with like a huge raise, like double their old salary. But like when they were leaving, the old boss wouldn't give them like, you know, a tiny, I mean, I call it not a tiny raise. I'm not poo-pooing like a small amount of money or a big amount of money, but it's just like nothing unreasonable. This person was not asking for like doubling their income. It's like, just give me a nice cost of living, at least 3% or 5% or I need, you know, to work remotely, uh, you know, those types of things. Look for things that also kind of on the balance of life, like they may not be able to give you all the money you want, but maybe ask, especially if you have a commute or you like to work from home. Can you work from home one or two days a week or even one day a month? Or can you get an extra vacation time or more flex time, you know, so that you're not taking a day off when you have to go to the doctor or, you know, you're 
Sunday mimosa brunch turned into Sunday night and you can't come in on Monday because you're now <laughs> sick. I see a um, theme here in this yeah. conversation. <laughs> so I have to roll over and, you know, <laughs> get there. But I've definitely been there and I definitely remember when I worked in an office how, you know, seeing people, you know, it was amazing how many more people were sick on Monday morning than any other day of the week. <laughs> yeah. So no one's ever sick on Wednesday. But, you know, you do have to ask and you do have to be confident and you do, you do bring something different to a lot of of companies. I think a lot of businesses are really looking to be more diverse and to bring in more LGBT clients and to have more influence in the LGBTQ community. So, you know, play that up as a strength, not as a weakness, which, you know, I, I hope none of us are playing it up as a weakness, but I think some people, you know, kind of in that fitting in and that growing up gay and all of that stuff, some of us might still have that a little bit of inferiority complex when asking for raises. And it's, it's never easy for anyone, but do it. It'll yeah. pay off. Worst case, they say no. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think the key there is to don't be afraid to ask. And the second is have the ammo with you to be able to justify what you're asking for. Right. And so you can uh, list all those off if you have to. And if you have to, like David said, reach for some other opportunities other than just a salary increase, such as flex time and whatnot, be flexible with that, but get something that's amicable for both you and your employer. Yeah. I, I would just say, remember, just go back a couple of podcast episodes and you're going to find the the one that we did about uh, how to write your self-assessment or your annual review, that following some of those things there give you that ammunition so that you can go in and say, hey, I, I think I deserve a 5% raise this year or 7% raise this year because I've added this much value. So definitely do it. <laughs> Just do it. Great point. So I know this is a favorite topic of David Otten's. I'm interested to see what, uh, hear what David Ray has to say. Uh, David Ray, any suggestions on your favorite tools or apps to use for managing money, budgeting, investing? I'm a big, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think having a financial advisor is like having like an accountability coach with a lot of stuff. So if you're able, that's a good place to go. At the very least, have something like Quicken or Mint where you can kind of track your spending so you don't actually have to like manually go through your credit card bills or your bank statement and add up what you spend on stuff. It won't be 100% perfect, but it still will like run a lot of stuff through. And they're, they're really getting smart with that stuff. So you can really get an idea of where your money's going so that, you know, down the road, you're like, okay, you know, we're doing well. We're staying on track, I guess is a nice way to put it. Or, oh, crap, <laughs> we're not doing well. <laughs> And kind of on the like the frugal and fabulous, like there's a browser thing. I, I don't know what it's called actually, but it's called Honey. Is the, yep. It's called the Honey oh, yeah. app, I guess, but I have it on my browser. Google Chrome extension, yeah. Yeah, it's like an extension. Thank you for that. And, you know, you're buying something. You're already there. You've already decided that's a good deal and you want to buy it. And quite often there's another coupon you can add to save some more money or cash back. And it's just it's there and it just runs basically while, while you're shopping online so you don't have to do any work and you save money so that's kind of one of the things i like because i really like to do things where i don't feel like i'm cutting back or not buying what i want but i'm saving money you know or getting it for cheaper and it's really nice when it's a surprise that i didn't realize it was there and they're like oh look you just qualify for 30 dollars cash back on something and i'm like woohoo i was gonna buy it anyways <laughs> so now i've got now i've got 30 dollars cash for something else so <laughs> exactly you know if we're looking for ways to stretch your dollars it's just one little extra way to to do it but you really do need to track your spending. I'm not the person that's going to, I get excited about it and I like to go into my Quicken every day and upload it and see where all my money's going. I'm that nerd, but like, I don't oh, really, you and David Altman are so like, <laughs> I don't get up from my budget that often, but I also am at a place where, you know, 
my house, my car, all my stuff fits in my budget. So I'm not, I'm not getting to my last, can I go to Starbucks one more time this month? Do I have $3 left? You know, I'm not in that, in that place financially, luckily. But I do think if you are trying to figure out where your money's going, what's doing, you really do need to track it probably on a, like a weekly basis, at least checking in with it. So you're like, oh my God, I missed those 10 auto debits on my bank account or my credit card. Like what are all these services or, oh my God, I went out to the bar every night this week or dinner every night this week, or, you know, I'm buying way too much stuff on iTunes. And it, it's just sometimes when you total it up, it turns from like, oh, that was just 99 cents or $9 or $4 or whatever it is, which is just no big deal. But you're like, oh my God, that was $500 this month of crap that I don't know what it was. Exactly. So when you pull it together on a weekly or monthly basis, it really can change the concept of some of those little stupid expenses that I think most of us are probably wasting money on. Yeah. You know what? I will 100% agree with everything you've said here. I love the the fact that you're talking about using the apps to pull your information in because it does build your awareness. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things is being aware. But I think even we mentioned this earlier, a lot of people think that being frugal means you're cheap or you're poor. But I personally look at it as a smart shopper. If I am being frugal when I shop, I'm actually being a smart shopper. Like you said, if I use this Honey browser extension, I may get an extra $30 or I get a 5% discount. Why wouldn't you want that? That just makes you that much smarter and it opens all of that money up for you to be using it either for other things that make you happy or for a more secure financial future. 100%. Totally agree. Let's be real. You know, again, I have friends that go to the Four Seasons for their vacation and go online and look at the specials. Right. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing frugal or, or there's definitely something frugal, but there's nothing cheap about, oh, look, buy three nights, get two free. Like there's no cutting back there. There's no like, oh, I don't want to go there. If it's not going to be as good if I get two free nights. Like <laughs> you, be if, better, if you think that, you're an idiot. <laughs> so you really need like some guidance or you're just an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to pay full price for five nights. Don't give me the coupon for two free nights or, you know, don't give me the happy hour discount. I, I could go on all day. <laughs> Sorry. It just bugs me. Like I went and paid sticker price. No, I want to pay over sticker price for my next car instead of negotiating because it makes it better somehow. Right. <laughs> this reminds me of an episode of Shit's Creek. <laughs> so, uh, I think we've covered a lot today. Any closing thoughts on the balancing living fabulously while spending frugally, David Ray? You know, I think you guys seem to be hearing it more than I am that, you know, being frugal is not the same as being cheap. Cheap is when you're screwing someone else in the process. Cheap is like when you go out to a restaurant and don't tip or, you know, when your all friends are all there and we're paying for dinner and you don't put your fair share of money in. <laughs> being frugal is going, you know, I really don't need the extra cocktail tonight and you put that $15 into a bottle of wine at home <laughs> and get wasted and have some more fun. Or <laughs> like, I'm going to stay one extra day on this vacation. So I extended my vacation and flights are $500 cheaper the next day. I think on, you know, I'm going traveling over Thanksgiving and it was $500 each cheaper to stay one extra day. Well, we're going to Mexico. <laughs> so we get one extra day, which more than pays for our food and pays for our hotel oh, no, I'm really cheap and it really sucks that I have to stay one extra day on my vacation. <laughs> so you look for ways to be fabulous and frugal at the same time. It is possible. It's not the same as being cheap. And you'd be amazed at how much better your life can be if you just make some smart financial decisions along the way. Here, here. So where else can our audience find you? Websites, social media, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yes. So on Twitter, I'm David Ray CFP. That's R-A-E. Spell my name. My website or my blog is financialplannerla.com. I write for Forbes. If you just go to Forbes and type in my name, you'll find me there. Yeah, that's about it. I'm pretty much everywhere else. So just Google me. You'll see all kinds of craziness pop up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. And to any of our listeners who have a spare bottle of Dom Perignon they don't want, they can mail that to Debt Free Guys at 2190. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining Five, us. Five, six, one. Give it to the Debt Free Guys. It'll go, it'll go a long way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David Ray. It's always fun and informative when you come on to Queer Money. As we hope you heard, living fabulously and being financially successful isn't always about eliminating all of the fun out of your life, hiding on the weekends and never spending a penny. It's really about spending on what matters most to you and not on everything that's available to spend your money on. With that in mind, there's no better way to start spending on what matters most to you and start saving for what you really want to achieve in life than by getting the Budget Buster Bundle to get your budget back on track which just so happens to be the sponsor of today's Queer Money episode. So get it now by going to debtfreeguys.com forward slash budget buster. We'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.